Hello, and a big welcome to Hulkcast 129. As usual, I'm your host, James Rushton. And once again, I'm joined by Danny Raza. How are you getting on? Evening, mate. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Another good weekend for Villa. So, cannot complain. No, I can't either. It's a, it's a, it's a weird... It's weird, isn't it? You have a few weeks changes everything. The outlook for us is just optimism now, I feel. Yeah, totally. Four wins in a row again. Uh, we, we, we obviously went on a little bit of a bad run, but when you put things into perspective, is it something like eight in the last 12 that we've won? Uh, we're, we're probably in a ridiculously good run at the moment, and I am pulling statistics out of my ass at the moment, but that is... Uh, that that is that is how it seems to me if I if I remember everything uh, correctly. But no, it's good it's good to see a a good run of games. And it what's interesting as well is that makes this run slightly different and slightly better than the last one that we had is that we've actually got totally new players leading the line now, uh, which is pretty funny considering uh, th- these are players that, that that have been in our squad for quite a while. Uh, Scott Hogan has come back. He's emulating. It's Jonathan Codger's form from uh, last season and also Keenan Davis's form from the last good run that we were in. And of course, Jack Grealish has come in and uh, and added a little spice to it as well. It's all going well for Villa, I feel. Um, a lot of fringe players have fought their way back into the team quite admirably. And uh, I can't be happier for that. We've really succeeded. So first topic today, mate, obviously yesterday's match against Barnsley. Paul Heckingbottom's team other team I feel do football right um, they don't spend a lot of money they promote youth products and um, they're happy to look at unwanted prospects like Arkana Hurahan who uh, seem to uh, be mithering around at the bottom end of the football league pyramid and uh, he's obviously helped them onto better things but under Paul Heckingbottom they're doing things right um, things aren't really going to plan from this season they are taking a few beatings but I think um, from what we saw yesterday they're a team that are able to turn it on if they aren't rattled from three by three goals in the first half. Hey, look, they 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 attacked. They attacked for the full game. That that's admirable from them because we, of, yeah, we had three goals. We obviously were the more clinical side, but Barnsley had something like twenty two shots on goal all game. They they were attacking. They were giving us a game for sure. Uh, I don't know if any of these shots were incredibly good. I don't know if they the attacks were incredibly pro were incredibly potent. Sorry, uh, but. Having said that, they did they did give it a good go. Now, as you say, they're a team who have been assembled on barely any cash. A lot of the players in that side are unwanted players from from abroad. Some of them, um, and also a lot of them have come in through the lower league teams. Uh, what, a couple of the players that we mentioned last week, of course, Cavare, uh, who came in from uh, I think Ligue 2 in uh, in France. Uh, he obviously played quite well, scoring the goal as well. Um, and Ethan Pinnock, another one that we mentioned before, uh, did well for him as well. They even handed a debut, didn't they, uh, last night? So it's good to see that Barnsley do give players a chance. Barnsley, as I said, were rattled. From what I felt, the head was gone. Um, as soon as we scored three goals, we were running rings around them. I was surprised to see the statistics after the match because I know Barnsley had over 20 shots, but I can barely remember one or two. I'm actually happening. I mean, surprised to see that kind of dominance happen. Um, they weren't as clinical as Villa, obviously. Otherwise, we'd have uh, been in a bit more threat with our position. However, um, the head was gone. They seemed frustrated. They couldn't really get the football under them. Every chance seemed to go to waste. Um, big, 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 massive plaudits to that man, Bjerke Bjarnason, in the middle, blocking some key shots. I think we would have had something to worry about if he wasn't in the right place at the right time. Um, he's really stepped it up. I mean, we said maybe he shouldn't start because we've only seen 45 good minutes from him. 
now we, now he's building on that. Don't be humble, man. Don't be humble. I'm going to concede this one. You said last week that you should start. It was you. You did say that Bjarne should start there. I, I on the other hand, didn't think that he should. Um, and you, you were proven right, man. Don't be humble. <laughs> well, you had every right to say that, mate. Uh, don't act like you weren't. In, you know, you were right to say that. You can't just make knee-jerk decisions off 45 minutes. But it's come out. It's worked. But still, it's only what 135 minutes or so of a uh, gameplay. Um, it's not enough to really go on but it's it's working out for him so long mate continue eh? yeah and i think the other thing you need to remember about barnsley's midfield is that they they were outnumbered they were outnumbered they started off with five at the back didn't they uh and then you know it was it was Potts, marlin and, and monker wasn't it, as a midfield three uh which was always going to be overrun really when you consider that snodgrass and adoma do play fairly deep it's a shame um i i mean as a villa fan i love to see us win but barnsley really did put a good effort in yesterday. And I think plaudits have to go into them for actually trying to win the match. Um, it was beyond them. For, you know, if you're three goals down within 20 minutes or so, you have every right almost to kind of you know pack it in and give up almost. But Paul Heckenbottom's team, really good effort yeah. there. Um, really good, you know, really good football team. I think it's a shame they don't have a bit more money behind them, but hey, the takeover's done now. Let's see what happens there. Really good football team. They do everything right. And uh, I wish them all the success, except when they come to Villa Park. Um, we did really <laughs> yeah absolutely that man Scott Hogan absolutely clinical took every you know he had like something like four shots two goals or three shots two goals um, shame he didn't manage to get that hat trick because he was on the cusp of it yeah he was and I think you, you saw a little bit of messing around as well later, later on in the game where Jack Jack Greenish I'm not quite sure whether half the time he's just too scared to shoot which has always been an, his issue for, for years you know and I'm not going to be uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be you know taking that back uh, but yeah it was it seemed a lot like you know later on during the game he was dribbling it and then kind of like looking for Hogan trying to see if Hogan was in space so that they could get so they could pull the ball back to him they saw it happen a couple of times as well with Snodgrass too. You could see that the players were looking for Hogan to to try and get that hat trick, but um, he did seem pretty much marked out of the game uh, by that point as well. Uh, but yeah, he did give it a good go. I did. I do think he cre- he hit the crossbar in the process too. Are we going to talk a bit more about that Jack Grealish run because that was something quite insane. He had a really good game, I feel, except for that one chance where he just danced across the entire defense from one corner flag essentially to yeah. the other. That was pretty insane. <laughs> It was. I thought I was the only one who noticed that. I thought I was the only no, one who noticed that. He, he shoot, just shoot, just oh, just shoot, just shoot, just shoot. And he didn't. And it's just pulled. You have to pull the trigger. And uh, he he managed to confuse everyone, including our own players. And a uh, bit wasteful. I think that's the only negative I have to say about Jack's performance because he was, you know, incredible yesterday. That's always been his problem, though, isn't it? That has always been Jack Grealish's weakness. He can run and run and run, and he can keep that ball stuck to his feet, but he does not know when to pull the trigger. That is the uh, that is the only issue with him, um, and it has been for the past number of seasons. But uh, I, I don't really care, really, if he's as long as he's providing the chances to the other players, which is what he does best. Yeah, and we saw that you know perfectly with that one touch link up, that Bruselona style when uh, he played in Conor Hurahan. One touch football, mate. <laughs> They're just all it's like telepathic. They're reading each other's minds, and he played uh, the Irish man in who uh, slotted home. And I, you know, I say Irish man, Scott Hogan's. Two goals from the, it's the Republic of Ireland, three. Barnsley won almost. Yeah, I mean, you could say that. Like, yeah, it was, I mean, Grealish could even count as that as well. He's an ex-Irishman, isn't he? He's an ex-Irishman. He's... Bit of a snake. Yeah. Bit of a snake. <laughs> yeah, used to be Irish, used to be Irish. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was good. I mean, the thing with Conor Hurahan as well is that, we. I, I've said this on a previous podcast, a lot of people get us sat there giving Grealish plaudits, but Hurahan a lot of the time is doing very, very similar work. 
you don't maybe don't necessarily notice him as much because he's not dribbling with the ball so much. But Hurahan knows when to get in good positions. His forward runs are good. His reading of the game is absolutely exceptional. And one minute you'll see the ball obviously at Bjarnason's feet, and the next minute you'll see Hurahan, you know, outside the box, uh, ready to shoot and, and in a scoring position. And I don't know how he does it, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you sacrifice that little bit of. Um, that little bit of bite in midfield when when you play him, he's not quite Glenn Whelan or Jedinak when it comes to winning the ball back. But you know, like I say, that that guy's forward runs, his positioning, and ability to see a chance is is absolutely exceptional. And you've got to remember that this guy scored, I think, a good seven goals this season or something like that. More on Scott Hogan, um, Connor Hurhan, obviously being our second top scorer after Adoma. Hogan's really pulling it back now, isn't it? Yeah, he is. He's running for it now, isn't he? He's scored four goals in the last three games. Uh, he's been exceptional since coming back. He's got an attitude that we are absolutely loving. In fact, we didn't get to speak about it on the podcast last week because the quote came out afterwards. But him basically saying that, you know, he's not going to allow himself to get dropped if Bruce brings in another striker. It doesn't matter who he brings in. Um He's he's just going to keep a hold of his position. Well, you know what? This is this is this is the thing with Scott Hogan. He hasn't dropped off since he scored that one goal. He he made an even more convincing performance the week after, and now he scores twice. Uh, his conversion rate being exceptional at this point, uh, and you know he's getting to the point where it looks like we have our very own sort of Jermaine Defoe style striker in our hands. And in fact, I'd say I'd go on better and say that Hogan's just starting to demonstrate that he's more than just a one trick pony. He's more than just a, a striker that can that can finish when he's in a good position. This guy's got a good head on him as well. Yeah. Um, what I like to see is he's a he's a leader from the front. He's a, you know despite his age, despite his stature, despite his reputation, despite everything, you know, he's probably one of the most underrated people in the team, and uh, he's a very hard worker. However, when he a striker has almost no right to be the leader of the team, but he's sitting there every pass that is waylaid, everything that goes wrong, he's turning around and encouraging the people behind him that they're doing a good job and to keep doing what they're doing. And if you've got John Terry at the back, you've got people like Bjarnason and Hurahan uh, in the middle and Grealish, and you've got Scott Hogan at the front, you've just got this core spine of massive influence. And let's not forget Sam Johnson at the back. We don't get to speak a, much, a lot about him. But he's, you know, at 24, he's not afraid to give John Terry a mouthful either. Back to Hogan, though. If you've got something like that, someone like that leading from the front, you know, you've got a real character. And it's, I'm not slating Jonathan Codger because he's his own man. You know, he's a, a man unto himself. You know, the, some of the things we've seen him do in a Villa show are incredible. Benteke levels are incredible. But um, Scott Hogan, there is a, di- it's a, it's a different kind of a, different kind of spice up front, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think for years, what we've been looking for is just a striker that can put away the opportunities. I think we've always had strikers with, with good, uh, with, with good qualities. Uh, over the years. I mean, obviously, apart from Benteke, I'm going to exclude him from this conversation because he was something else. Uh, you know, you look at some of the strikers we've had. We've had Jordan Ayew, you've had Jonathan Codger, great players who can, uh, or I won't say great, good players who obviously can dribble with the ball at their feet, can can work the ball into position and sometimes obviously uh, pull up, pull off a good goal. Uh, you look at guys like Keenan Davis as well, who are, once again, good striker in his own self, uh, not quite there just yet, but we haven't had a pure finisher. We haven't for years had a pure finisher. Uh, the last one that 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 uh, we've had that Scott Hogan basically reminds me of is Darren Bent, um, and it's been frustrating, hasn't it? Before for years, even when you do have great, good creative players in our team, that uh, we just can't put chances away, and we have to wait for one moment of luck uh, or game. But now we're starting to see that conversion rate get up. 
Any final thoughts on that Barnsley game, man? I think there was a bit of a worry at the end. Uh, Barnsley seemed to be coming very close to a, a second goal that would bring them back into the match. But I think it was uh, more convincing than the Forest one. Yeah, no, you know what? We, we demoralised them straight away. We demoralised them straight away. You know what? As soon as we got the two goals up, it just didn't look like you know they were going to go anywhere, to be honest, Barnsley. Um, and obviously, then we went three goals up. You can't really come back from it. Uh, no matter how hard you work, I don't think you can come back from it as long as you get you keep the fundamentals right. And the thing is, we've got a team in there. We've got players in there who can keep the ball relatively well. You know, Grealish, Urahan, Adoma and Snodgrass, Bjarnason behind them as well. They're not messy players, are they? They're not players who are going to lose the ball uh, very easily. Um, and I think, fair enough, if you, if you come up against a, a side who are going to sit back with that three goal, uh, with that three goal cushion, there's a chance you might come back from it. But Villa weren't that kind of side today. Um, they were uh, not today. Sorry, yesterday they were very much uh, a side that, that uh, kept the fundamentals right after going three goals up. And it was good to see some ruthlessness. It's good to see some ruthlessness because too many times we've seen this season, too many times we've seen last season, and for a couple of years now as well, when we go one up, we settle for it. And we just kind of think, all right, no, that's enough. We're fine. We can go home now. No real need to to risk things and go forward just in case the other team scores. We're not putting that pressure on ourselves. We're keeping ruthless. That's what we're going to need to do if we're going to finish second behind Wolves. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that, that was a positive to see against Barnsley. Yeah, Aston Villa three, Barnsley one. Quite a barnstorming first half from uh, the villains as they got they really got it going from the get go. But mate, we've got some questions to get into from uh, people on Twitter. I'll go with have we? Yeah, yeah. I'll go with one from Max. That's at MJE Stokes on Twitter. Who's our best central defensive midfielder, mate? Who works best and in what sorts of games? <laughs> I think this is a very complicated question because we've got three. We've got like a utility kit there in that position now, haven't we? Got three different people for three different tasks almost. Um, I'm going to go with Bjarnason after what I've seen because there's just too much energy there. The, the dude is, is probably the only player, bar Scott Hogan and Mayhuran, maybe Hurahan, who can uh, run for 90 minutes. And that's an, you know, a very important attribute to have in that position. It's an interesting one, James. It's an interesting one. It's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. It's quite, I, I'd love to say Yedinak, but um, we haven't seen him a whole bunch this season, have we? And he's performed incredibly in every game. But, um, from what I've seen of Bjarnason, there's just too much, too much there. There's too much potential there. Okay, I'm going to exclude Bjarnason from this. Bjarnason's has been good. He came on in the second half and we were comfortable. He, came, he played against Barnsley as well with us. Obviously, we went two goals up. It wasn't an awful lot of defending he really needed to do. Um, I was impressed with his statistics in the last game. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he, but the thing is, he made, he only had to make the one tackle. Yeah, he got three aerial duels, one as well, but, you know, good passing success and everything. I don't class him as a, as a defensive midfielder. I classed Bjarnason more of a deep-line playmaker, I guess. Uh, he did get, he does obviously get the intercept, interceptions done, but he's very much, um, you know, a playmaker because he, he he's his role essentially there was to anchor the midfield and kind of spray passes around as well. Now, it comes down to Whelan and Jedinak, doesn't it, For, for, for if, we, if we're looking at the rest of the defensive midfielders. Now, I do really like Jedinak. I think Jedinak is a fantastic midfielder. If we're playing, if we're playing three in midfield, and we need a player behind Hurahan and behind Grealish, I go Jedinak every time. His aerial presence is ridiculous. The guy can tack, pull off tackles with absolute ease. And the other thing about him is it's basically like having an extra centre back in there as well. And I, I do really like Jedinak in that sense. He's 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 a leader. He can you know obviously 
keep the midfield ticking as well. He's, he's got a good pass on him. He's not an incredibly messy player. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So Jedinak, I would say, if we're playing a three-man midfield, um, and I think really for me, I will say is our best defensive midfielder. Glenn Whelan, now there's been a little bit of a... Uh, it's been a little bit... <laughs> Obviously, Whelan's had a lot of criticism this season, hasn't he? But then there's been this counter-movement of fans going, hang on a second, hold on, right? Our original good form started with Whelan. Whelan saw us through for most of this season. Um, it, you know, in, in the games that we've been winning, he's been involved and he's been key to him. And I can't disagree with that as well. If we're playing a two-man midfield, Whelan's been fantastic. He's good at passing the ball around. Uh, he's, 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 a, he's a good, solid defensive midfielder that allows people like Hurahan and people like Lansbury to move forward with the ball whilst he looks after uh, while he looks after, you know, the dirty work essentially. Uh, and I do like Glenn Whelan as well. But if we're talking about uh, my favourite uh, defensive midfielder or our best central defensive midfielder, I think it has to be a fully fit Mile Jedinak. There's just too much intelligence there, isn't there? And uh, he's got something that Whelan has and he's got that height, he's got that mass He's just in, you know, I can't believe he can move as fast as he can with that much muscle there, man. He's, he's a big fella, isn't he? He's like a bear in the middle of middle of the park. Um, more on Whelan. Um, yesterday, when he came on, it was, uh, I know he only came on for like the last five or so minutes, but he wasn't there at all. Um, like, there's one, t- we were playing like one touch football in the middle, and uh, he just seemed completely out of it. There was one time when a pass just rolled past him because he was pulling up his socks, man. And I think that's the type of person that we see in Glenn Whelan, someone who just isn't like there. He's not fully switched on all the time. And I do like to see him dive into tackles. I do like to see him being brave. And he was good in that first half against Forrest. Um, but there's been a bit more negative than positive, I feel, especially when you know when you visualise his stats, when you visualise the statistics that are important to his role, he's really poorly performing in them. He's getting dispossessed, man. A central defensive midfielder should never get dispossessed. Is he getting dispossessed? He's getting he's getting run over. He's getting dis. Okay, I mean, um, you know when the uh, stats bomb they uh, do their like. I don't know what the actual chart is. It's not like a pie chart. I don't know what the graph is. It's a, a bit of data visualization that shows it. It's like a, a pentagram or a hexagon that kind of goes off into the the key skills of that position. Um, he's getting dispossessed. You know, he he's not making the passes. He's getting dispossessed. He's getting tackled. He's getting dribbled past. You know, this is something. This is something like yeah, and that doesn't let happen. And this is something that be a kid, be honest, and doesn't let, right. him, let happen. Okay, but but when we have played well this season, you know, consider that obviously we've got we're only just getting into a good reign of form now, right? And Jonathan Codger hasn't really, I'm sorry, uh, Mila Jedinak hasn't really been around recently. When we did start playing well, he was the one that was seeing us through it, man. Glenn Glenn Whelan, Glenn Whelan was there, you know, when he's when he's played as a defensive midfielder, he's done well, and yeah, you know, he's not he's not amazing, but his passing is. Is is pretty much up there, man. He's got an eighty percent pass. Um, uh, he's got an eighty percent like passing uh, percentage as well. Yeah, passing success. Sorry, uh, you know he's he's very good. I mean, yeah, maybe he doesn't pull in the tackles like uh, like you want to see, but you know his blocking of the ball is is very very good. I mean, is is you know when it comes to when it comes to blocking, when it comes to running through uh, r- running against uh, players who are, who are trying to run through the midfield, when it comes to interceptions, he's he's, he's up there, man. Because the thing with Glenn Whelan is, and this is the thing that he does have that that Mila Jedinak doesn't have. He is a little bit more mobile, and whilst Jedinak does have a lot of intelligence, I think Glenn Whelan, you've you've got to remember that the years that he's had playing at Stoke City, and whilst the stats may not show it. I do think that Glenn Whelan does have a way, 
you know, does have a way with his with, with the ball. And I think he, he he is very good when it comes to us playing two central midfielders because he does a lot more running. And I do think that he's um, he's very good off the ball. Uh, but yeah, he's not as good as Jedinak. Not as good as Jedinak. We can settle it there, though, by saying that it's, uh, Jedinak is the best man, isn't it? In that role. I mean, as long as you're happy to say he's better than uh, Bjarnason in that role, man. So- oh, more than happy, more than happy. I just feel that in the in the whole setup of the team, um, he he's more sim- Bjarnason's more similar to the other players we have in that he you know he will never give up. He'll, he he can run. He has got the legs on him, and that's something obviously we see yet in lack of wheeling. Um, is a bit more mobile as you said, but Bjarnason's almost like this kind of little Icelandic tank with legs and he he's never stops running and he seems to get there. And I think there's more potential there in the long run for Bjarnason, but at the moment I'll go for Yedana. Yeah, I'll go for Yedana. Just right now. Yeah, straight up, straight up. Um, Bjarnason, he's making a name for himself in that role and I think long may it continue as I've said, but um, we, the man there is Mila Yedanak. He's uh, certainly, certainly made that his, his own role. So we've got another question. It's Mark Bannister on Twitter. That's at 1874FC on Twitter. Is Villa's return to form down to Jack Grealish's return? You know, he had that nasty, you know, lacerated kidney injury two cuts to his kidney out for about six or no he was out for a fair fair bit of time I'm not sure if it was six months um, but that was the time he was meant to be out for I think it was more like three or four months he was out for but he's come back and he's really really impressed especially in that kind of attacking midfield role um, he but he doesn't stick to the traditional mould of an attacking midfielder. He will track back to our own six-yard box, mate. Um, he will put in sliding tackles. He will get he will do the nitty-gritty. That stuff that other players in that role won't do. Um, Callum O'Hare, um, more of a trick artista, likes to get forward, likes to just laze around, likes to do them really good, you know, show off, do them really good skills and drive the team forward. Onoma, almost the same. Um, but Jack Grealish is a man who's making that role. He's almost making his own new role in that role. This reminds me of when we gave Ashley Young a free role a few years ago. Just that good at running around and not running out of steam and essentially playing the role of our talisman. Uh, that It seems as though the attacking coach is saying to Grealish, look, just do whatever you feel is right. Because you do see him on the left-hand side sometimes, Grealish. You see him in the centre as well. Now, the thing with, with, with Jack Grealish is I almost feel that when you ask this kind of a question, you're asking for a yes or no, aren't you? You're asking, is Jack Grealish directly the reason for our form? Now, he's a factor. He's a big factor, but with all of these things, there's always factors. Uh, Yes, Jack Grealish has been a key part of this return to form. He's been fantastic. He's been driving the team forward. He's showing the form of his career so far. Yeah, he's not scoring goals, Maybe he's not even getting the assists, but he is the key cause of a lot of our attacks and he is the driving force in a lot of them. Uh, And his dribbling just seems ridiculously good as well. Now, the thing with him is he wasn't putting that on before, was he? Not under the managers that we've had, not under that defensive style of football. He hasn't been able to show that. And it almost seems as though this addition in the coaching team of a dedicated attacking coach in Steve Agnew has refined Jack Grealish, created a monster, created a different kind of monster in Jack Grealish um, that has essentially uh, pushed him on and revealed a lot of that talent that he shows when he plays for the England under 2021s. 20, or is it under 23s now? I'm not too sure. 
Um, it's a, there's, a, there's a load, isn't there? There's a load of England under twenty something teams. There's loads of them, isn't there? Now the thing is, <laughs> yes. the thing is, the thing is, Steve Agnew and his attacking style of football allows Jack Grealish to play that way. So I'm going to say it's the two of them. Uh, but also, you know, just don't, don't, um, don't forget about the other players who've been doing well as well. Because if you want to start about a spike to the start of form, who was there in those first two games that uh, that kept us solid at the back? Tommy Elphick as well. You know, I'm just saying there's, there's there's a lot of names that you can pull out there to kind of say, you know, this is the reason why we're in good form. Greenish is a big part of it, absolutely. But would we still be winning games without him around? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can happily say that. Greenish is perhaps one of the biggest parts of why we're doing good. But it's not it's not a full picture, is it? No. As as with all these things, you need to look at the bigger picture. You need to have a look at everything around. But uh, yeah, you know what? Like, yeah, Jack Greenish has been fantastic. It's like having a fantastic, uh, like having a new signing, isn't it? You know, we've gone from having Onoma playing behind the striker to Jack Greenish playing behind the striker, and uh, essentially, I, I know I slag off Onoma a lot. He's not a bad player, but having Jack Greenish in there just shows us just how good a player we've been missing out on, and we've been missing out on him for a long time. I completely agree, mate. Um, Jack really, really kicking on. I think maybe in a weird, ironic sense, the injury did him a world of good because he can sit back, reflect, and watch Villa play, and he can, you know, he can listen to the. He doesn't need to worry about training. He doesn't need to worry about getting fit. He doesn't need to worry about matches. He can see where Villa are going wrong and think about what when he re- makes a return can can offer. And uh, yeah, you know, it's the first time he's been out of the picture for you know a really big length of time, Aston Villa. So I think that maybe break on it sounds weird because he was obviously in a lot of pain wasn't he but um that sort of break off from football gave did him all, all the world of good the hunger to get back in the team the hunger to do well for Villa and also the ability to reassess and uh, reflect on what you can offer yeah and he's kept his head down as well hasn't he you know he's he's he hasn't been spotted you know doing anything silly and I know before when whenever he did get into trouble it was very much just a boys will be boys thing but he's obviously been keeping his head down hasn't he he's obviously been focusing on the injury you know we haven't seen any uh images of Jack Grealish down snobs on a Saturday or, or something like that you know there, there was always stuff going around before this this kid is basically well, I'm not gonna say kid he's older than me this guy is basically uh he's he's gone about this injury the right way a lot of players Injured age may well have been tempted to kind of see how it goes, knowing full well that uh, knowing full well that you know the the, the team are going to be there or thereabouts at the top anyway. Um, and he could have been, you know, for, uh, knowing that he's out for for that many months, he could have been messing around a little bit more, couldn't he? He could have been focusing on other things, but clearly he's been focusing on getting back. And you can see that hunger is there for Grealish to to bring Villa to the. To, to the Premier League. And you know what? Make no doubt about it. Grealish is going to be talked about as a 20 to 30 million pound player in the next couple of seasons. I have absolutely no, um, I have absolutely no doubt about it. In fact, toss the 20 million away. He's already a 20 million pound player in my eyes. Um, but he's going to be talked about as an expensive signing in the next few years or so, especially if Villa don't go up. Yeah, he's our very own Coutinho, isn't he? Almost. Um, one thing, one quick tangent, mate. Is there any legs in the Grealish for England movement? I think I personally think there is, but that's my my opinion. Right now, near future, we'll say not not okay. not tomorrow. Okay. Near future, next um, 12, 24 months. Based on his performances, he's been playing very well. I'll give him that. Uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek got picked for England. Now I've got nothing against Ruben Loftus Cheek. Ruben Loftus Cheek has done well uh, wherever he's been, right? But if we if if a player like that can get in, 
you know, obviously off the back of performing for the under-21s under Southgate, off the back of Southgate knowing and understanding his players, uh, then I see no reason why Jack Grealish can't. Now, the thing is, being in the championship, there is always going to be that that risk, isn't there, of, uh, of bringing him up, playing him against top-class players. Uh, I haven't... I don't recall a midfielder from the championship ever getting picked for England. I don't. I could don't recall it happening. Um, if it has done, it's probably gone over my head. It has, but they haven't been high proof. They haven't been like the best players, which is odd. You'd think they'd need to be really good. They haven't been the best players. Well, so who has been picked before? <laughs> so people from the fucking seventies when England weren't doing that oh, well. Okay, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. it's it's you have to go quite. You have to go back to when it wasn't League One or two when it was Division One, Division two, you know, Division Two, Division Three, all that stuff. But the, you know, there is David Nugent was the last. I think championship player who was picked for England, he obviously played up front. Yeah. I don't think there's mu- there's not much data or or call ups to go on in terms of midfielders. But I, I do say if there's any man who's actually probably pushing for it, is is him? If we can pick Theo Walcott for a World Cup without playing a senior game, then Jack Grealish should be a starter. You know, you know, it's insane. He's been a star player for the England of Twenty Ones. He's been a star player for him. Whenever they do play, Jack Grealish does always seem to get on the on the score sheet, and he does tend to be one of the best players on the on the pitch for him. He's got those kinds of skills and that kind of ability, Jack Grealish. That it's just it's it's not going to make a big difference on 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 the higher level. Right now, he doesn't score goals. Right now, he doesn't get that many assists because that's not his skill, is it? It's about driving the ball forward. And England lack those kinds of players. They do. They need those kinds of players. Um, and I think. I think when if we if we're going off Southgate doing this whole sort of promote from the under twenty ones thing, then yeah, Grealish will be around possibly. Yeah, it all depends on whether Southgate wants to take that risk because he'll get criticised for it if he does pick it. He'll get criticised for it. But yeah, it's, 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 oh, it's, it's Gareth South. You know, it's, it's Gareth Southgate managing it. It's not like the world's best manager, is it? I think we've got a philosophy here where we don't pick the most informed players. We don't pick the top scorer, most assists. Because that's how you get Stuart Downing in the fold, you know, no offence to him. But that's how you get people who are decidedly above average. If you build for a, a play style, if you build with three at the back, two fast wing backs, um, someone in the hole, if you build around a philosophy and you pick the right players for that philosophy, by all means, you could win the World Cup. Um, if you're playing uh, match by match and you want to do the old thing of just picking the best players who are available, um, in no matter if they fit actually fit in the team, or if you're building the team around someone like Wayne Rooney, whose bottom, whose low bar is incredibly low, um, then that's how you get to getting knocked out in the the group stages in the second round. I think England could go far if they build around a philosophy. Um, I think going off on a tangent, but yeah, I have to go, Jack. I say if you wanna, if you fancy a bet, definitely an outside bet. I say if he continues and he doesn't get injured and he starts having goals because he's ripping games apart and he's making massive chances for Villa. And if he's doing that in the Championship, mate, you do seem to get a little bit more time on the ball in the Premier League because teams are more more intelligent. I think about going into chances in the Championship. People are flying at your left, right, and centre. Anybody who's not a Villa fan is listening to this podcast and listening to this conversation right now, they will be laughing at us. What What are these guys talking about? Do you know what I mean? You can't, you can't even suggest it. It's a bit of our bias, and it? it's a bit that we look at it, and he's the best thing that's ever happened. But you know, you maybe have to look at a larger picture and see. Oh, there are. Look, you yeah. cannot, you cannot pick Jack Grealish based off his Villa form because he's 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 doing well. He's doing well. He's he's playing. He's playing incredibly well. And we can see it. But Southgate's not watching Villa every week. You know, there's nobody out there watching 
excuse me, Villa every week, right? And you know, there's going to be tons of other players who can who can you know say that they should be around the England team. If we're talking about it, you know, a couple of years ago, Matt Ritchie should have been in the England team, but it's just not the way it works in the Championship. You've got to be in the top division, haven't you? The only reason that Jack Grealish could be considered is if we're going off his under twenty one form. And if we're going off that promotion from the under twenty ones thing, that is the that is the only way we can we can really mention it. You know, a few seasons ago, though, you know, there, there were Villa players that you thought should have made it in the England team that didn't. You know, Mark Albrighton, for example, is one that I always think should have been around. But you're not going to get noticed unless you unless you pull something off in the Premier League, and then you know, with the main newspapers talking about you, and you need uh, a little bit of mainstream backing behind you as well before you really do get considered. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a shame, really. I mean, I, I get it. I think, I think what we need to learn from this conversation, maybe more people, um, who are watching some of the the stodgy crap going on in the Premier League. You know, you get some crap going on the sky. You're watching poor performances. I think a lot more neutrals maybe need to look down the league when Villa are on TV. Uh, if you're a neutral, I watch Jack Grealish play. I think more people need to be watching the talent in this league because it is there is a high the bar is rising. Yeah, yeah, the bar the bar the bar is rising. Teams do get relegated, it happens, doesn't it? And uh you you do get good teams around. You know, Portugal are probably watching Wolverhampton Wanderers right now, for example. Um and I I do think he's a good player, but yeah, I think I think the whole England conversation, I don't think he's done anything to to bring that about yet. He's only played five or six games since coming back. Uh, and it's not really enough to to say that he's good enough for England yet. I do get where you're coming from, and I do like the excitement, but we've got to be careful, man. We've got to be careful about talking about this. Very level-headed response yeah, there, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, he's, he's a good player. He's a good player, don't get me wrong, but he's got a lot of work to do. He's, he's not yet, he has not yet, Jack Grealish, right? I, I know we're going on a long conversation about him, but he has not yet, throughout his whole career, this is no criticism of him, I'm just saying, he has not yet put in a good sustained run of form. And when things have gotten tough, Grealish hasn't been there. That's all I'm going to say. Let's hope that turns around then now because I, he's on the back of a good run and things are going peachy for Villa. But then again, defeat could be around any corner, mate. We've got one final question. Um, mm. At Phil Vogel, PB Vogel on Twitter, mate. He's uh, one of our writers, one of, one of the good guys. Um, the positive feeling that seems to be in the locker room is it down to the manager, Steve Bruce? Is it down to players like Albert, you know, the happy the happy <laughs> chap in the dressing room? Or is it a case of just winning? What do you think? I don't, I don't know, mate. I'm not there. It's hard to say. Might be arguing. <laughs> Clearly, they're having a good time. I think I think it's just that we have allowed, you know, we'll I'll, we'll get onto a little conversation about all this stuff in a minute because we're going to speak about the Keith Wynes stuff on uh, BBC WM. Um, it is stability. And I mean, we're all calling, maybe calling for Bruce's head and saying, sell Hogan, sell this, sell that, get rid of him, get rid of that. Um, the stability is, I think people are very, the players are very comfortable playing for Aston Villa and they've, they've found their little little purple patch, if you will, of uh, of how to, how we expect players to play at a club like Aston Villa, how things go. And they've all kind of found their little groove and everything seems to go into plan. Everyone looks like they're happy playing for Aston Villa. Every, you know, when I score goals, there's genuine joy. And I spoke on another podcast this week about Manchester United. And when they score goals, it looks like just business. You know what I mean? Um, the <laughs> yeah. Villa players look like they're having real fun. They look like they've got absolute freedom to do almost whatever they want. 
And I think that's a, that's a big part. I think Steve Bruce has took a really, it's almost like a Ferguson hands-off approach where he lets his coaches focus on the day-to-day and he's there just to shout on it, you know, manage the game day situation and manage the team like a company almost. Yeah, look, I, I think the question is difficult because at its basis, it leaves out a key determining factor. When are we saying that this mood in the dressing room began? Because you could say it's been in the last couple of months when we've started hitting really good form. We did go through a purple, I mean, we did go through a bad patch in between the two good runs of forms we've had. I would have to say that we've had that good feeling in the dressing room probably uh, since little before the start of last season, maybe even the end of last season. Sorry, a little before the start of this season, maybe even the end of last season. Bruce did get us playing well towards the end of last season. In the summer, we made good signings. We brought in John Terry. We brought in leaders in the dressing room. The wheels have not fallen off at any point this season. Bruce started off this season with a plan, right? I mean, he's he's obviously got his players in there. He knows who he likes. He knows who's going to play. Throughout that time, things have changed. You know, players have been performing well and, you know, others have maybe dropped off just a little bit, but it happens. But what we're seeing there is we're seeing fight for places. Could Scott Hogan have pushed his way back into the team if the morale was never was never good in, in the dressing room? Do you, do you, I mean, you've always got to consider these kinds of questions. If the morale was ever, ba- was ever bad, why did Tommy Elphick, why did Scott Hogan not break when they returned to the team? I think they've they've had a good um I think they've I think they had a decent start to the to the season. And I think um we've gotten better as it's progressed and obviously the morale is getting better. But I think we've I think we've always been pretty stable since the start of the season. I think the players have always believed in the um but believed in the process uh for, for the most part of it we've not once looked like we're out of the promotion race yeah i have to agree man i think we've uh it's just a stability i think everyone no one's fearing for their life at aston villa and i think they're very comfortable they're very happy with how things are going they seem to know what they're doing now um anyway mate on to the final thing for today because we've got no match to preview next week um it's on tuesday so we'll have a podcast before then just to preview it yeah, exactly. It's a wall, isn't it? Um, we've got uh, we're going to speak about Keith Wynes because he uh, bravely went on the football phone in uh, on a BBC WN and he faced quite a few tough questions. To be honest, people asking about financial fair play and people saying they wanted Bruce sacked, um, but they've changed their mind now. People kind of going in on him. Um, he did get a few comfortable questions, of course, and uh, the uh, presenters weren't too easy on him. Brave of him to step up and uh, put himself out there because he could have just um kind of fubbed each question off but he went into deep massive 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 amounts of detail in every question and we can't get onto everyone but i think there's a few key things to our focus namely one is that we were looking at robin van persie to sign not two weeks ago um that's pretty pretty cool to be honest yeah it doesn't surprise me either we, we signed john terry at the start of the season you know, it, it, bruce will look at them he will look at them i think bruce is that kind of manager like he does have some pedigree to him uh, this man played centre back for Manchester United for years. When, when I think that little conversation he even had with 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 Keith Winnis, I mean Keith Winnis, obviously uh, talking about John Terry as well during the during the uh, interview too. But it, look, we are ambitious. We do have we we do have people in that team, you know, the backroom team. Sorry, who want us to do well, and they will look at top players like that. Obviously, Van Persie isn't going to happen because he's gone back to 
um, gone back to uh, flipping. Where's it gone? Where is he? Fenerbahce, right? But when uh, Chelsea are looking at Andy Carroll and we're looking at Robin Van Persie, <laughs> you know what? It shows that we've got some sort of ambition. It shows that that we are a side that are looking to bring good players in. Um, and I think, and I would like to think that the that the big uh, transfer fees that we've paid for some of the players that we that we have done uh, over the last couple of years is uh, is testament to that. Yeah, um, on financial fair play. Um... Wyness is adamant that we won't fail it this season or next season. It just goes, it's going to be a bit harder. You know, we, there's no way we fail. It's just uh, we have to plan. Um, we have to plan for our spend. And uh, so I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear that the club isn't in a lurching crisis. I mean, it could be because, you know, that big firm, Carillion, actually collapsed despite the government saying it's all okay, it's all good, everything's fine. And now loads of people are out of jobs, loads of people have lost money, and one of the biggest employees in Britain's gone. But I think, I feel that. The club's in the right hands. It's not like AC Milan. It's not like this gentleman has appeared from nowhere and that he's hired a weird team and that there's money just being flung into the club. If Villa wanted to spend $500 million, they could. They'd get sanctioned for it, but they could. Milan have spent $220 million money they don't have and they're getting sanctioned for it. It shows that we've got level-headed owners because we could have just chucked money at this problem. We have bought a lot of players, but what I'm saying is the money's there. We could have went... Hang on, we're bringing this guy, that guy. We'll spend a hundred million pound every single transfer window. Um, we'll forget about the sanctions because we'll deal about it when we go up, and that's how you ruin clubs. Because <laughs> when you get sanction after sanction after sanction, um, it pisses the owners off. They don't like their hand. They don't like being bitten, and they leave the club. Um, so it shows we've got level-headed owners. Yeah, and you know, you know what? What's the, what would be the point? What what would be the point? We've got enough of a squad. There, there's no real reason to breach financial fair play, is there? Oh, it's just it would be a silly thing to do. And I think it's good that we're not pulling, uh, you know, pulling the team apart like we have done for years. Uh, I think it is obviously sad that we've got players on our books who just aren't any use to us. But I think it happens at a lot of clubs as well. Sunderland, um, Sunderland especially, have uh, you think our situation is bad with maybe Michael Richards, you know, the only kind of person who's taken a massive wage and not performing at all? Because Gabby's a different story. Gabby's trying to contribute according to Bruce and Wines but uh, Michael Richards chronically injured out of the game no use for him at all at Villa and he's picking up a massive wage Sunderland have about six or seven Michael Richards on twice the wage that Richards is on I wonder who so you can probably they've got players I've read an article by Daniel Story one of the better football writers on the situation at Sunderland they have got people Players they've signed on loan and may, been forced to buy at the end of the season in their relegation season. They're on 60, 70 grand. Um, Jack Rod, Rod, Rod's a great example of a player that they've just got that they can't use, who's on about 78 Seriously? grand that they can't get rid of. And he's not the only person. Yeah, he's not the only person on there, only in a massive pay packet, mate. Um, so we can moan a lot about Michael Richards, but thank God we've only got one, you know, one solitary player that's not performing at all. You know, we could have maybe have had Jolie and Lescott as well. We could have had a few numbers. You know what the other thing has been, right? Steve Bruce has actually resurrected so many players from the dead. Like, well, maybe not even just Steve Bruce, but like Alan Hutton. Yeah, he, he looked like he was down and out, didn't he? He's he's come back into it. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's been anybody else as well. Yeah, Tommy Elphick. I know he was one of Bruce Scott Hogan. First, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've had a few. Exactly. You know, so the opportunities are there, and if Richards can't bring him bring himself back into the team then he's probably got no one to blame for but himself because uh you can't say that that Bruce isn't isn't giving the opportunities to players 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, obviously we don't have a Sunderland situation going on. It's good that we don't. I think we're weeding it out now as well, especially because it looks like our backups are, you know, our youth players now. You know, we're, we're not, we don't have uh, Libor Kozak in the back somewhere. Nothing wrong with Libor Kozak, by the way, good player, but we don't have Libor Kozak in the back somewhere, uh, you know, not doing anything whilst, uh, you know, somebody like Callum O'Hare is forced to stick around in uh, in the youth ranks. Um, I think what we need really is a manager who knows the players that he that he wants to play, um, and basically has the players that he wants. And I, I don't think that I don't think that there's any real signings that we need to make this window. I'd even go as far as to say if we didn't sign anybody by the end of this window, I really would not care. I have to completely agree, mate. And I think that is probably the best part place to end the podcast. Any final thoughts on uh, today's issues, mate? Barnsley, one S interview, all the questions we've had. Any final final thoughts on those? Yeah, Barnsley was a good uh, was a good game. Uh, we it was it should have pretty much just finished at twenty minutes, uh, but it was good to see Villa just in control for the most part. Um, I'd say the questions as well, good questions. I want to keep them up. They they were fantastic. Nice to hear some different things coming out um, this week. It was uh, So if you do have any questions, obviously keep on tweeting us for them. And the other thing was obviously Keith Winus's interview. Hey, came across as a very genuine man. Uh, I think it's, it's very easy for people like that in positions like he's in to get painted as villains. Um, yeah, and, and it happens to absolutely everybody that gets in there because people don't quite understand the job that is that is you know needed. But he's, he's come in and he's helped Villa with the stability uh, he's, he's helped bring in Steve Agnew as well which has been which has been good and I think what we've really got now is a football club with the right people in control of it Zia recognises it uh, I think Wyness recognises it as well uh, with the fact that he's bringing in people too and I think it's good to have that level headedness in the club and just people that know what they're doing uh, we're, they're, they're not doing anything exceptional they're not doing anything which is over the top uh, but clearly behind the scenes, a lot of work is being done. And I think it's nice to see that. Yeah, uh, very positive about Villa. I mean, we could have a chance to moan about something. We could try, but uh, I'm too happy about things at the moment. I think everything's going well. Um, financial fair play and um, the money behind the club is a situation that will actually only be revealed when it actually happens. And of course, when it does happen, if the worst case scenario does happen, we'll be there to cover it. But uh, very happy, very happy to continue with this optimism. Um, next week, we'll be previewing that Sheffield United match among others. But uh, yeah, it's been a good whole cast. Uh, I've been James Rushton. You can catch me at Jammer Rushton on Twitter. That's Danny Raza, DH Raza on the Twitter. We do appreciate feedback. And uh, yes, same time next week, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Join us again next week. It will be a more of a preview next week as well. But as uh, as James says, keep the questions coming. Keep, in, uh, keep on commenting. Keep on uh, roasting us after the podcast as well. If we've said anything stupid that uh, that you don't like the sound of, uh, I'm at DH Raza as he as he says he's at JMO Rushton uh, and I'm also uh, and I'm also encouraging you to uh, follow the at 7500 to Holt account too uh, and we do love the um, the interaction so yeah 